This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Due to the graphic nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder, drug abuse, suicide, and child abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. It was around 2 a.m. on November 28, 1953. The sidewalks of New York City were still bustling with people, stumbling out of bars and into taxicabs. Armin Pastore, the assistant night manager at the Statler Hotel, stood outside in the cold. He greeted each guest with a warm welcome as they strolled in off of 7th Avenue. Then suddenly, he heard a shattering of glass from the 10th story window above his head. Somebody had jumped. Armand's friendly smile changed to a look of horror. The body of a middle-aged man, wearing only his underwear and a t-shirt, was now lying just a few feet away in a pool of his own blood. He rushed to see if the man was still alive. Miraculously, he appeared to be breathing. The guest began mumbling incoherently, but Armand couldn't make out what he was trying to say. For a second, he looked up to where the man had fallen from, the blinds now exposed, flapping in the breeze. But when he looked back, the man was dead. The name of the dead hotel guest was Frank Olson. He was a scientist for a government research initiative a clandestine government program that would only be accessible to those with high security clearance. And only weeks before, he had been tricked into taking LSD by the head of this program. So what made Frank Olson jump? Maybe he was battling internal, personal demons. Maybe it was the pressures of his high-octane job. 
Maybe it was a resurgence of the psychedelic drugs in his system. Or maybe he was murdered to protect one of the most disturbing top-secret government operations America has ever seen. MK Ultra. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our final episode on MKUltra, a top-secret CIA operation that began during the Cold War. Its objective? To perfect the techniques of mind control. Last week, we took a journey through the official history of the operation, from its origins as Project Bluebird to its handoff to Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. The project was then refocused on hallucinatory drugs like LSD as tools to get victims to talk. As Gottlieb gained more control over the program, he renamed it MKUltra and began using himself, his employees, and unwitting civilians all over the country as test subjects. This week, we'll explore a few conspiracy theories surrounding MKUltra. Our first being that CIA employee Frank Olson was murdered by the CIA after threatening to blow the whistle and reveal their secrets. Our second conspiracy theory comes from an account of a woman named Kathy O'Brien. She claimed to be a child test subject in a demonic MK Ultra subproject known as Project Monarch. Finally, our third theory the government actually perfected mind control techniques through MKUltra and are using them on our favorite celebrities today. In the early morning of November 28, 1953, the streets outside the Statler Hotel were flooded with ambulances, fire trucks, and cop cars cordoning off the area. CIA scientist Frank Olson had just fallen or jumped to his death from a 10th-story window just across the street from Penn Station. But in the weeks following his death, many people, including Olson's family, grew suspicious. They were convinced that he wasn't suicidal and would never kill himself. This sparked one of the earliest conspiracy theories about MKUltra, that the government may have ordered a hit on Frank Olson after he threatened to divulge the truth about their work. Frank Olson began working for the government in 1943, researching biological warfare. 
He was one of the first scientists to be assigned to the CIA's home base during the start of their mind control studies, Camp Dietrich. Over the years, Olson climbed the ladder at Camp Dietrich and became the acting chief of the Special Operations Division. Here, he specialized in the airborne distribution of biological germs, meaning Olson was in charge of developing a wide range of lethal chemicals and viral strains. But the young, eager scientist had no idea how morally compromising his work would become. Some of those chemicals were then condensed into hand-sized containers, making them easy to disguise to be used as weapons in espionage. Some sources also claim that he was involved in the mass production of anthrax. Naturally, as the years passed, Olson came to realize that he wasn't being asked to do the job of an ordinary biochemist. But by the 1950s, there was no turning back. He was already in too deep. Olson was fully submerged in a new project known as MKUltra. And through 1953, the stresses of the job compounded. He often complained to his wife and family that things were getting overwhelming. Naturally, he couldn't tell his family what overwhelming actually meant. Like the fact that he was designing substances for his new boss, Sidney Gottlieb, for interrogation techniques. In other words, new methods of torture. Or the fact that some mornings he arrived to work to a pile of dead monkeys that had been gassed with his poisonous creations the night before. Olson was even occasionally shipped overseas to monitor the use of his chemicals in human torture sessions firsthand. It wasn't long before the average workday for Olson was watching alleged war criminals get interrogated, drugged, hypnotized, brainwashed, and even killed. And anytime his techniques didn't meet Gottlieb's standards, Olson would be forced to come up with new solutions. He hated it. In confidential therapy sessions, Olson spoke about his feelings with British psychiatrist William Sargent. In 1953, in a meeting with Sargent, Olson supposedly showed signs of wanting to expose MKUltra. But that information wasn't kept confidential. It was almost immediately reported to Olson's superiors. The news would have reached Sidney Gottlieb. And Gottlieb would not have taken it lightly. He would likely consider Olson a threat to national security. And perhaps this is why in November of 1953, Olson was invited to attend a work retreat in Deep Creek, Maryland, where he and several other MK Ultra employees were unknowingly laced with LSD. When Olson found out that he was used as a guinea pig, he was irate. He confided in his friend and colleague, Norman Cornoyer, about his desires to speak out, but Cornoyer warned him of the repercussions. Later, Cornoyer was quoted saying, he did not give a damn. Frank Olson pulled no punches at any time. That's what they were scared of, I am sure. The entire operation could have been threatened by a man like Frank Olson. But before going too far down that road, let's consider some other possibilities. 
Just five days after being dosed with LSD, Olson's direct supervisor, Vincent Ruit, reported to Gottlieb that Olson appeared disoriented at work. Olson was then sent to New York to speak with a CIA physician named Harold Abramson. We should note that Olson had spoken to his wife about some of his fears surrounding his own mental health. But Gottlieb insisted that Olson see someone with equal security clearance so he could talk freely about his problems. At the session with Abramson, just days before his death, Olson allegedly told the doctor that ever since he was dosed with LSD, he was unable to focus at work. He had even forgotten how to spell and was finding it difficult to sleep at night. But it appears that not much came of the meeting. No diagnosis, no prescriptions, no regimen. Afterwards, Olson got on a plane to Washington, D.C. with his colleague, Robert Lashbrook. When they landed, Olson became upset. For whatever reason, he didn't want to go home and see his family. Instead, Olson returned to New York for another evaluation. The morning of Olson's death, he met Dr. Harold Abramson in Abramson's Long Island home, accompanied by Lashbrook. Abramson then called Lashbrook in for a conversation behind closed doors. What they discussed has never been disclosed. The next morning, Abramson, Olson, and Lashbrook drove back to New York City, where Abramson sat with Olson again. This time, Abramson recommended Olson be hospitalized at the Maryland Sanatorium. Well, that night, Lashbrook and Olson checked into room 1018A in the Statler Hotel in New York City. Over what would be the last dinner he ever had, Olson said that he felt better and understood that he needed hospitalization. He even spoke of the books he planned to catch up on while he was there. Never once did he hint to anyone that he was showing suicidal tendencies. But at 2.25 a.m., Frank Olson fell from that 10th story window. When police stormed into room 1018A, they found Robert Lashbrook in the bathroom upset and mumbling to himself. Lashbrook was later reported saying that he woke to the sounds of glass crashing. When he ran to switch on the light and noticed that Olson had jumped through the hotel window, he was shocked. What's odd, though, is that the hotel telephone operator said that there had been two separate calls made from that room. She had heard bits of each of them. One voice said, he's gone. Another replied, that's too bad. Journalist Stephen Kinzer believes that the CIA quickly got to work cleaning up Olson's death. Kinzer claims a man named Sheffield Edwards at the Office of Security persuaded the police not to investigate and asked for their help to throw off the press. Meanwhile, the CIA gave Lashbrook a fake background to use during the investigation. The morning after Frank Olson's death, his colleagues drove to his family's house in Maryland and delivered the news. They told his wife, Alice Olson, and their three young children that Frank had fallen or jumped out of the hotel window. But even his nine-year-old son, Eric, knew there was a difference between those two things and that the circumstances were suspicious. Over 30 years later, 
Sidney Gottlieb admitted to Eric, we both went a little too far and we did things that we probably should not have done. The Olson family knew their father had a difficult job, but he seemed to be happy, healthy, and he had so many plans for their future. But officially, Frank's death was ruled a suicide, and it remained that way for two decades, until on June 12, 1975, a Washington Post story came out that hinted to the American public that Frank Olson had, in fact, been killed by his employer, all because he threatened to tell the truth. The Olson family responded to the article by announcing that they would be filing a lawsuit against the CIA. Not so coincidentally, a week later, on July 21, 1975, the Olson family was invited to meet with President Ford in the Oval Office. He made a formal apology and expressed his sympathies on behalf of the U.S. government for the circumstances surrounding Frank's death. But never once did the president or any other government worker hint at their involvement. White House lawyers quietly offered the family $750,000 to drop their claims, and the family agreed. It wasn't until after his mother's death that Eric decided it was time to re-explore the possibility that his father had been murdered. On June 2nd, 1994, Reporters stood by as Eric had Frank Olson's body exhumed. The forensic pathologist found no signs of drugs or toxins in Olson's body, meaning LSD could now be ruled out. What's more, they found a wound above Olson's left eye, suggesting he had been injured before he hit the ground. Olson also showed no signs of glass in his head or neck, which likely would have been the case if he dove headfirst out of a glass window. But it wasn't until August of 2002 that Eric called reporters back to his home to make one final statement. The death of Frank Olson on November 28, 1953, was a murder, not a suicide. This is not an LSD drug experiment story, as it was represented in 1975. Frank Olson did not die because he was an experimental guinea pig who experienced a bad trip. He died because of information concerning a highly classified CIA interrogation program in the early 1950s. So what's real and what's not? Did the CIA take a risk like murder just to silence one operative? There had to be plenty of operatives who at some time or another showed doubt in the program. Could Frank Olson really have been the only one with a moral compass to sound the alarm? Seems unlikely. Either way, I think it's fair to say that the CIA was involved to some degree in the murder of Frank Olson. That's right, I said murder. Based on the phone calls that Lashbrook made and the evidence from the autopsy, it appears there was foul play. If the death was driven by a bad trip or symptoms of drug use, there would have been proof. Which is why I'd give this theory that the CIA silenced Frank Olson in 8 out of 10. It does seem like some kind of foul play went on. I'd rate it 7 out of 10. 
Lashbrook may have killed Olson, but maybe not on Sidney Gottlieb's orders. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Sidney Gottlieb or the U.S. government will ever admit to their involvement. So I'm not sure we'll ever get a concrete answer. Right. And perhaps there are even larger secrets that Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA took to the grave as well. Like details of an even more nefarious program that used innocent children as their guinea pigs. Coming up... Stories of a CIA-run satanic program meant to turn children into assassins and spies. Now, back to the story. On November 28, 1953, Frank Olson fell to his death from a 10th-story window in the middle of New York City. The man had shown little to no suicidal tendencies, but expressed concerns about MKUltra, the CIA operation he was working for. 20 years later, the Olson family received a formal apology from President Ford before they were offered $750,000 to drop their accusations that the CIA murdered and then covered up the death of employee Frank Olson. Then, in 1995, shocking new allegations were made about a completely different project run by MKUltra. A woman named Kathy O'Brien came out with a book called Transformation of America, True Life Story of a Mind Control Slave. Which brings us to our second conspiracy theory. The U.S. government was not only using mind control on prisoners, sex workers, and their own employees, but they were testing their techniques on children decades after MKUltra was said to have dissolved. In her book, Kathy O'Brien claimed that she had been involved as a test subject in Project Monarch since her youth. Unfortunately, most of the information we have about the MKUltra sub-project comes from her accounts. But we know for sure that after Sidney Gottlieb gained full control over MKUltra, there were over 149 different sub-projects in total listed under the MKUltra heading. And if what Kathy says is true, None of them were as diabolical as Project Monarch. Monarch programming is allegedly what the CIA graduated to after failing at their holy quest to find a true serum. O'Brien says that Monarch programming was a technique that combined satanic ritual abuse, called SRA, and disassociative identity disorder, often referred to as DID. By using neuroscience and psychology combined with a variety of satanic rituals, the project manipulated subjects into slaves and super spies. Monarch was a trauma-based form of control that aimed to shatter minds by splitting personalities through mental torture. The torture included electroshock therapy, sensory deprivation, and mental manipulation all were part of an effort to get their subject to disassociate from reality. The subject would then create a variety of personas to protect themselves and repress their experiences. Once a new personality was established, the operative would work to transform and condition that sub-identity to feel, think, and execute tasks. This means stripping the persona of any religious beliefs or moral principles belonging to the host. 
The goal was to get the subjects to carry out a variety of espionage tasks without question. Tasks like prostitution, smuggling, and international arms dealing. The experimenters supposedly activated or woke these personalities with triggers or internal words, often associated with movies and music. For example, if a victim had been conditioned with the film The Wizard of Oz, the term somewhere over the rainbow might trigger them to go into a happier place or bring forth an optimistic personality that would dominate the others. Allegedly, there were different levels of monarch programming that would give the subject more dominant traits. Alpha programming, which was focused on visual acuity and memory retention, that way, reconnaissance could be delivered accurately and honestly. Then there was beta programming, or sexual kitten programming, which was what Kathy claims she was conditioned for. This stripped a subject of moral codes and conditioned them to perfect the art of seduction and pleasure. According to conspiracy theorists, the world's top betas have gone on to serve many world leaders and government officials on command. There are also deltas who are programmed to carry out assassinations. Gammas are supposedly trained deceivers meant to have spread disinformation, and omegas are programmed for suicide missions. If this sounds familiar, it might be because this theory has inspired works of fiction in pop culture, like the political novel-turned-film The Manchurian Candidate, released in 1962 and remade in 2004. The remake stars Denzel Washington as a Gulf War sleeper agent who was brainwashed by a government project to assassinate a prominent political figure. But maybe the story wasn't so fictionalized after all. In fact, many claim that the realities of Operation Monarch and MKUltra are far worse than what's been portrayed on the big screen. Since disassociative identity disorder is usually established in childhood, the project's primary subjects were not adults or soldiers, but children. And many of the selected kids had shown pre-existing signs of DID, meaning they likely already suffered from abuse in their home life. When six-year-old Kathy was selected for the program in 1964, she had regularly been sexually abused by her father. She was also showing early symptoms of disassociative identity disorder. She was recruited into the program after her father was caught sending child pornography of Kathy through the mail. He was then approached by the government who offered him a deal. If he allowed them to involve his daughter in their experiments, they would turn a blind eye to his crimes. And Kathy claims that's exactly what happened. Kathy says that her father was then sent to Harvard for a two-week crash course on how to prepare Kathy for these clinical trials. Kathy remembers being encouraged to watch films like Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz after he returned. During the program, Kathy says that not only was she hypnotized and forced to relive her abuse, she also developed a photographic memory and was trained to become sexually enhanced. What that means exactly is unclear, but it changed her life forever. On weekdays, she seemed like an ordinary girl to her classmates. But 
On the weekends, she was being forced to do unspeakable things in the name of science. Kathy claimed that in 1974, at the age of 16, she was forced to begin official missions as a sex worker and participate in CIA black ops and White House Pentagon operations. Her official title was presidential model because her espionage duties included sleeping with some of the world's most powerful men. By the time Kathy was trained, Project Monarch was no longer meant to serve science and protect the people of the United States. It had gone just as corrupt as the rest of MKUltra. But as time went on and Kathy's claims got more grotesque, more people started to doubt her story. Now, for example, Kathy says one of her first sexual encounters was with President Gerald Ford. But he wasn't the only one that was granted the keys to the kingdom. Well, this term, which happened to be her trigger code, got Kathy to access alternate personalities, each conditioned to perform sexual favors for powerful men. And the years of abuse and torment allegedly continued in absolute secrecy. But the details of what really happened behind closed doors are impossible to find. But Kathy claims that in 1988, after 14 years as a government slave, she was rescued by her late husband, Mark Phillips, a U.S. government intelligence insider. Mark's involvement in the program remains vague, likely to protect him and Kathy. The couple fled to Alaska, where Phillips deprogrammed Kathy for the next few years into the early 90s. Now, Kathy was freely able to recall many of the horrors of her past. She was hellbent on exposing Project Monarch by whatever means necessary. And her crusade for the truth helped Kathy gain notoriety with the release of her book in 1995. But the more anecdotes she shared, the more questions her doubters had. For example, Kathy recalled George Bush Sr. activating a hologram in front of her, creating the illusion that he was turning into a lizard-like creature before her eyes. Kathy's claims might be absurd, but it wasn't long before other victims came out from the shadows with similar testimonies. In 1999, a woman known as Bryce Taylor came forward with a book recalling her experience in Project Monarch. She also claimed to be a presidential model sex slave and a spy. Bryce recounts being flown by helicopter to private islands and expensive hotels to deliver messages to world leaders and secret cabals like the Illuminati. Another woman, Arizona Wilder, claimed during a 1999 interview that she was programmed to participate in satanic rituals that summoned alien beings for the Illuminati. And then there was Victoria Volpus, who also admitted to being a victim of sexual abuse before she was brought into Monarch, where she claimed to witness the satanic sacrifice of other children. But these victims didn't seem to recall those memories until after Kathy came forward. And none of them had concrete evidence that the program actually took place in their childhood. Was it a case of mass hysteria? Or perhaps others saw the attention Kathy O'Brien received for her claims and hopped aboard the bandwagon. 
Harlan Gerard, a whistleblower and political activist, dug deep into the claims behind the MK Ultra subproject. As much as he wanted to find something, he couldn't find a single trace that Monarch ever existed. Investigative journalist H.B. Alborelli also tried to write a story about alleged operations that ran under MKUltra. But he too was also unable to find a single document, file, photograph, or whistleblower that would prove these dark programs existed. However, there is one incriminating piece of evidence. Former CIA director William Colby was blatantly asked by the new Federalist reporter Anton Shaitkin about Project Monarch. Allegedly, the director angrily replied, we stopped that between the late 1960s and the early 1970s. Which means a Project Monarch did exist at some point in time. But what actually happened there remains a mystery. What we do know is that Kathy O'Brien wasn't mentally well. Her existing trauma from childhood was what she claimed had made her the perfect monarch candidate. So if she did already have disassociative identity disorder, it's possible that these anecdotes were just a symptom of her illness. Alternatively, her mental illness may be caused by her trauma from Project Monarch. And though not everything she claims may be real in our reality, it could be real in hers. True, but I have too much faith in humanity to believe that Operation Monarch could have been going on without anyone threatening to blow the whistle on it. If the government was experimenting on children, it's likely someone would have put an end to it before it ever began. Which is why I give this theory a 2 out of 10. I'd agree with that. There isn't enough evidence beyond hearsay, and the institutionalized torture of children couldn't go on for long without someone stopping it. But that doesn't mean that there weren't other programs testing on unwitting adults. We already know that MKUltra successfully ran Operation Midnight Climax for years. So, if they were capable of keeping that a secret, what else could be happening behind closed doors, even today? Coming up, claims that the CIA was behind Britney Spears' meltdowns in 2003 and 2007. Now, back to the story. In 1995, Kathy O'Brien released her book, Transformation of America, Kathy detailed the horrific testing she was subjected to as a victim of the secretive Project Monarch. Monarch was allegedly an MKUltra subproject that brainwashed children with disassociative identity disorder into doing a number of horrific acts, like assassinations or prostitution. The credibility of its existence, however, is suspect at best. But there are other theories that suggest smaller, more depraved sub-projects outlasted MKUltra. And some of those sub-projects could still be happening today, on our televisions and right under our noses. Our third and final conspiracy theory claims that the U.S. government has successfully found a way to brainwash people 
and their main targets are some of our favorite celebrities. First, let's explore the concept of brainwashing or mind control a little bit further. Mind control has actually been a cultural paranoia for centuries. Dating back as far as the ancient Egyptians in 1700 BCE, hieroglyphics reportedly show rituals and customs that were used to control the mind. Archaeologists believe that these practices of mind control were done in an effort to please the gods and get people to act in their image. But these rituals also created a group identity. They created a sense of belonging that forced people to cooperate with a set of rules or doctrines, rules those in power wanted them to follow. The term brainwashing actually derives from a Chinese phrase and was used to describe the coercive techniques that were meant to pressure people into the right way of thinking and behaving. The phrase wasn't introduced to American culture until the Cold War era, just as Project Bluebird was being formed. During this time, a propaganda operative working for the CIA by the name of Edward Hunter was working undercover as a journalist. His job? To print headlines like, Brainwashing Tactics Forced Chinese into Ranks of Communist Party. But the main goal was to drum up fear and animosity, get Americans to hate the prospect of communism, and fear getting brainwashed all of which is dripping in irony. Well, not only did the CIA introduce the term brainwashing into American culture, but they also secretly attempted it in MKUltra, which we now know lasted for at least two decades. Knowing the truth about MKUltra has caused an innate paranoia that has infiltrated popular culture and may still be thriving today. But is that paranoia justified? Over the last 10 years or so, there's been an online movement forming over the belief that our celebrities, athletes, and politicians are being brainwashed to carry out a higher agenda. Some claim that whenever a figure is on television and acts strangely, butchers a line or freezes, they may actually be receiving messages from the government. These glitches or malfunctions, as they are referred to by theorists, are easier to spot in public breakdowns. For example, many believe pop star Britney Spears' 2007 head shaving incident was a glitch in her government programming. And the star had other episodes that caused conspiracy theorists to flood the web with ideas like her erratic behavior during an interview with Diane Sawyer on ABC's Primetime. When approached by Sawyer about a tough topic of conversation, Spears continues to repeat the word weird before saying hello repeatedly to herself. Some claim that Spears appeared to be switching into a whole new personality before she began crying to Sawyer and asking her to cut the cameras. And many agreed that her behavior was so absurd that there had to be a stranger explanation for it. People began to spot these same glitches in other celebrities. The rumors were spreading like wildfire. Our celebrities were being controlled by the American government. Reddit threads, YouTube videos, and blogs perpetuated the paranoia, and people were providing plenty of new examples. In 2012, Today Show host Al Roker 
exhibited strange behavior during a morning news segment when his co-host, Savannah Guthrie, made a joke ending with the words, Holy Ghost, something seemed to snap in Al Roker. For the next 17 seconds, Roker stared at the camera like a deer in headlights, not moving or reacting to the hundreds of people standing around him. A few days later, Roker was questioned about his bizarre on-camera behavior. At first, Roker claimed it was a brain freeze, but later changed his tune, saying his director egged him on to see how long he could hold the pose. Supposed evidence for celebrity mind control doesn't stop there. During a Nashville concert in 2011, Katy Perry began exhibiting strange behavior that many equated to demonic possession. Moments later, she collapsed in front of thousands of people and had to be carried off by one of her stagehands. In 2013, actress Roseanne Barr came forward in an interview with Esquire magazine. Barr implied that many celebrities in the entertainment industry have a history of being abused. Many are obedient and willing to please, meaning they would make perfect candidates for a mind control experiment like Project Monarch. When the actress was questioned further, she admitted that the idea was out there. But as she told reporters, yes, it sounds insane. But do you think it sounds insane that a message bounces off a satellite and goes everywhere in the world at the same second? We live with that kind of technology. Barr continued to defend her claims by making a particularly interesting point. The government has made a mockery of people who've come forward to expose these operations, and maybe that's a defense tactic. Roseanne claims she is not a victim of government mind control herself, but the actress did come forward in 1994 to admit that she too suffered from disassociative identity disorder, just like the victims who claim to be involved in Operation Monarch. Perhaps Roseanne Barr has more in common with Kathy O'Brien than we think, but it's likely not the fact that they were both victims of Project Monarch. There are dedicated researchers who have uncovered another side to the government mind control story. Marie Jones, author of Mind Wars, did extensive research in preparation for her book on the subject. But Jones didn't feel like these theories held any water. Instead, she expressed her frustrations with them. She claimed that these theories had gotten so radical that they've made further research into the topic problematic. Jones has dedicated a large portion of her life to unraveling the truth behind government mind control, and she feels that these celebrity brainwashing theories strip away the potential for the general public to take the facts of MKUltra and government information control seriously. Some of the modern-day brainwashing theories have spiraled so out of control that they've become downright dangerous, like the suggestion that the gunmen behind the Sandy Hook or Columbine shootings may have also been manipulated by an MKUltra subprogram. And there is virtually zero evidence to support the idea that any of these celebrities or criminals have ever participated in an MKUltra program. The theory is based on online commentary alone. Scott Wark, a researcher in meme theory, attempts to explain exactly why this kind of thing happens in online conspiracy culture. He believes that theories like MKUltra can actually provide comfort during a national tragedy. 
conspiracy theories offer a convenient narrative that's far easier to stomach than the real story. In fact, this exaggeration of reality is exactly what's created legends and folklore for centuries. One event is taken out of context, and while there is truth at its core, it's often made into something much larger than it was when it began. Which leads us to our final question. Is celebrity mind control nothing more than a myth? Given the fact that the only evidence lives in Reddit threads and YouTube videos, I can't give any credence to this particular theory. Al Roker, staring into a camera for a few seconds too long, doesn't validate it for me either. And it's not unheard of for celebrities to give in to performance art or to suffer mental instability, which is far more likely than Britney Spears operating in a clandestine government project. While the theory is fun to entertain, I'll have to give it a 1 out of 10. Yeah, I agree. Our first theory actually feels like the most likely. Is it possible that Frank Olson was going to blow the whistle on an operation that we know today did in fact exist, and the CIA silenced him? Sure. But is it possible that the man was suffering from his own demons, or his death was a tragic accident? I don't think we should rule that out either. Even though the MKUltra project ended in the late 60s or early 70s, it still managed to leave a lasting impression in culture today. And somehow paranoia about brainwashing is more prevalent now than it was during the Cold War. I think Scott Wark put it best when he said, when it's easier to blame a conspiracy about mind control than it is to face our political differences, then something is very wrong. So, yes, Operation MKUltra might be put to bed for now, but mind control doesn't have to be as literal and tangible as the kind that MKUltra was trying to achieve. Think about all of the information in the world and who has control of it. Who chooses what you see and what you don't? Sometimes it's the media, but for millions of people around the world, government censorship of news and information is all too real. And that is something to fear. Especially because we know for some time MKUltra was real. The American government searched long and hard for ways to control the human mind. Who's to say that they haven't found it? Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easier for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Conspiracy Theories for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. 
Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. <laughs>